0: Seeking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayerful attention to the Gospel according to John chapter 6, and reading for our text, part of verse 17. The latter part of verse 17, and it was now dark, and Jesus was not come To them, the whole verse reads: "And entered into a ship; that's the disciples, and went over the sea toward Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus was not come to them. We have here a literal account of after the Lord had worked the miracle of the loaves and the fishes." And the disciples then are going over to the other side of the sea, obviously in a rowing boat. And this is a a literal account. They went on the evening of the day, and the time it took, they were found in the night, and Jesus was not come to them. He wasn't with them in the boat, they were alone in the boat and aggravated, they had a great wind that blew and so their trials in the water and in that journey were in a natural way, very great. But we would not just look at this as a a natural account it is a natural account but many of the things that are recorded in the word of God have also a spiritual application our Lord told many parables and he gave them a very clear spiritual application and sometimes our lives are a parable as well and hear what is in the inspired and holy, inerrant word of God is not just for the help of those that would be in exactly the same situation. In fact, very many would never be in a situation like this and couldn't be, of course, with the Lord coming literally to them, walking over the water as he did later on. So then we would think, well, how does it apply in a spiritual way? Well, we would go back, firstly, in thinking of the world before it was created. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. There was no light at all. It was all darkness. And the Lord came, and he that dwells in that darkness, Solomon speaks about him dwelling in darkness, but then... Paul, writing to Timothy, says that he dwells in the light that no man can approach unto. The light and the dark are alike to him. The Lord comes and from that darkness he brings light and he divides the darkness from the light. He makes night and he makes day. The darkness that they were in now was one of those literally night seasons which God had appointed them, and so when we look at creation, then we look at the uh, time when our Lord and Savior died upon Calvary's tree, and on that time there was darkness over the face of the earth from the uh, third hour to the or the sixth hour to the ninth hour, three hours of darkness over all of the land or in another account over all the earth over that time God having command over uh, the darkness at the beginning and then the great miracle of redemption and when our Lord suffered and offered his perfect sacrifice putting away the sin of his people upon Calvary's tree as he bears the wrath of God as he bears the weight of his people's sin As he suffers, as he puts away those sins by the sacrifice of himself, then the sun is hidden, and there is darkness over the land. God has command uh, over that. We read when the law was given at Mount Sinai, then there was the thick darkness there, and it was mentioned several times how the Lord dwelt in that darkness, and in the fearful sights that were shown when the law was given. We think of it in a spiritual way as well. It's interesting in the Holy Word of God, the place where darkness is mentioned mostly, especially in relation to the experience of God's people, is in the book of Job. And in the book of Job, 28 times there is the mention of darkness. And it could be variations of that, even more than that. But just looking at the word darkness, and of course Job was in Satan's sin. The Lord had given permission to uh, Satan to distress Job, to uh, take away his goods and those things that Satan was accusing Job of just worshipping and following God because of what God had given him. So God gave him permission to take away those things. And when those things then were to be taken away, Job, he still says, the Lord gave and the Lord had taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And yet through that very severe trial, so much darkness, the Lord brought Job out of that trial, on the other side of it, delivered him from it. It's not surprising then that we'd associate darkness with physical trials, spiritual trials, trials of soul, and trials in our lives, because in Job it is very prominent. And then also we have in the book of Psalms as well, 17 times in the book of Psalms. And again the Psalms are the experience of God's people and there they experience those times of, of darkness and we read of them a little in Psalm 143. But then also we have in Isaiah. Now Isaiah is often referred to as the, the Gospel, many very clear Gospel messages and Messages that point to the coming of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. And 18 times there is mentioned the darkness there. And of course our Lord says in John that he has come a light into the world. His whole work of redemption is uh, encompassed in that. Our Lord Jesus says in in John 12, verse 45, He that seeth me seeth him that sent me. I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And our state by nature, our condition by nature is a state of darkness. We cannot see spiritual things. They are there. But we cannot see them, and cannot perceive them. And darkness is over our hearts and our minds, the same as it was over the world when the Lord uh, created the world. And the Lord needs to turn that darkness into light. We read in 1 John that in Him, that is in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is light and no darkness at all. And it is the Lord that changes that dark And into light. He is come a light into the world. But the experience of God's people will be times of darkness. If we are to know that darkness changed to light, we must know the darkness first. And if we are to know our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ in the glory uh, that He has, the power to bring that. Light into the darkness then we will experience the darkness as well and so it is with that thought that i want to look at the text here this word here and it was now dark and jesus was not come to them to look at it in a spiritual way to look at it in spiritual darkness and then also in providence as well. It may be, as we gather this morning, that the word finds you, finds me, in darkness of soul or darkness in providence. And may the Lord then be pleased to use this word and order it so that there's that help and strength and blessing through the word of God to shine some light upon an otherwise dark, perplexing and trying pathway. So I want to look then at three points. Firstly, they lead up to where they were here, where our text finds them. It was now dark and Jesus was not come to them. There's a lead up to it. Then secondly, their experience in darkness. The time that it was dark, what was their experience at that time? And then thirdly, their deliverance and looking at it for our encouragement. But firstly, there is a lead up to this time. It really consists of uh, two things. We have the miracle that the Lord had wrought. He had changed those five loaves and two fishes into such an amount of food that was able to feed about 5,000 men and then women and children. They had seen that miracle, they had seen what the Lord could do, what the Lord had done. They had been instrumental in it, the Lord had used them. They, the Lord had broken the bread, he had given to the disciples and they to the people. It had been a time of great blessing and of great wonder that they had been part of. And then we have the Lord had constrained them, as not told in this account, but in Matthew and Mark. Luke doesn't give this same account at all, but Matthew and Mark do. Matthew speaks of the Lord coming and walking on the water and bidding Peter, Peter also to come to him over the water, but we won't dwell much on that part of the account. But in Matthew and Mark, it doesn't just say, as in this account in John, that uh, that his disciples went down into the sea and entered into a ship. We read that the Lord constrained them to get into the ship. It was his instigation that they should use this mode of transport and that they should go over to the other side. So there would be that expectation, the Lord who had wrought these miracles and done these things that they had seen, the Lord that had bid them to go into this path and the way that they were going in, the expectation was that it would be a path of blessing, a path of help, a path where uh, they would have the Lord's help and guidance in it. And there wouldn't be trouble and trial and darkness and contrary things that they were then to experience. Many times with the people of God, they walk this path that they have an expectation and the reality does not turn out the same. Now maybe you've joined us this morning and you've had expectations expectations of what the lord would do for you in providence or expectations in seeking the lord maybe you have received a bible maybe you have sought to begin in the ways of the lord and to follow uh, the christian faith and you've had a expectation that it would be a rosy path an easy path everything would go well and it be the Lord's blessing on it. After all, you are doing what was right and uh, following the word of God. And this thought that, well, everything will be right. And now it's not right. Now things are not what you thought it would be. Let me remind you of some of the lead-ups and expectations in the word of God. We think of the account of Joseph. Joseph, the son of Jacob, was given several dreams, two dreams, really, uh, and it was a dream that gave him an expectation that his brothers and his father, that they would bow down to him. One dream, uh, they are in the field and the sheaves were, uh, Joseph's sheaf was there standing upright and all of the other sheaves were bowing down to him. Then even the stars of heaven were. Joseph must have had that expectation that he was going to be raised to some place of prominence and that God was going to do some wonderful things. Well, Joseph then was taken by his brothers that hated him cast into a pit, then sold as a slave, brought into Egypt and falsely accused, cast into prison, forgotten, but then he was raised up out of prison, brought next to Pharaoh, and indeed his brothers did come and bow down before him. But from the time of that expectation of his dreams to the time they came to pass, He went through many great and deep trials. Then we have later on when the children of Israel came out of Egypt and God appeared to Moses in the wilderness, told him to go and lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. He did warn him that Pharaoh would not listen to him, that God would harden his heart and God would show all the wonders uh, in Egypt. And God did show all the wonders in Egypt, nine great plagues in Egypt. But as that began to happen, Pharaoh was very hard on the children of Israel and their burdens got much harder before they were brought out of Egypt. So hard that they wouldn't listen to Moses, so hard that even Moses did cry unto the Lord in the trouble that they went into to the first expectation that they would be brought out of their burdens. Their burdens got harder before they were indeed brought out. Then we have the case of Elijah. Elijah, that great and fiery prophet that could stand fearlessly before Ahab, tell Ahab that there would not be rain uh, for nor dew for three and a half years or until he gave word again. And God hid him, and at the end of those years he showed himself to Ahab upon Mount Carmel, and the sacrifice was offered, and the God that answered by fire, he was to be the God. There was a sacrifice by those that were worshipping Baal, and a sacrifice by Elijah who offered according to the prescriptions of the God of Israel. And God answered by fire. Baal couldn't answer. Baal couldn't kindle the fire at all. But God did from heaven. And when the Israelites saw that wonderful sign, then they were willing to acknowledge God as their God and kill the prophets, 800 of them of Baal, and then Elijah prays again and the Lord gives rain on the land. But then he has a message from Jezebel, Ahab's wife, that she intends to kill him. And God had said to Elijah that in the answer on Mount Carmel, that God had turned the heart of the Israelites back again, back from idolatry. No doubt, Elijah had an expectation of great revival, great blessing at that time. But Elijah went from that wonderful event of the power and might and greatness of God on Mount Carmel to such depths that he he ran, he fled, he lay under a juniper tree, he wished that he might die, and yet God brought him an angel to strengthen him, feed him, bring him to Mount Horeb and then give him fresh commission, tell him 7,000 still had not bound to Baal and that he would be with him and give him a helper in Elisha to the end of his days. But what a contrast from such a, a demonstration of the power and might of God to, to then being so low and so despondent We think of Naaman the Syrian who was a leper and one of his servants, maids from Israel, uh, bid him to go to Israel, go to Samaria and to the prophet that was in Samaria to heal him of his leprosy. And he had an expectation how he would be healed, that he would go and the man of God would call upon the name of the Lord over the place and and recover the leper. But instead, the man of God just sent a messenger and told him to go and wash seven times in the river of Jordan. And he was offended. He went away in a rage. He said, I thought this. And so he had that expectation. The reality was very, very different. But when he did, when his own servants prevailed upon him to go and humble himself and wash in Jordan instead of the rivers that he felt were better in Syria, then he was healed. And so we have very often this expectation. We wonder what Mary, the mother of our Lord, felt and hearing all what the shepherds said concerning our Lord when he was born, and she laid these things up in her heart, for she had awake those thirty-three years, and then our Lord was crucified and slain. Those two on the way to Emmaus, the two disciples, on the third day, the Lord met with them when they were sad. He said, "Why are you sad? What is this you are talking about?" And they thought he was a stranger. They didn't know who it was arisen. Saviour, risen, Jesus, having put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And they told him all what had happened. And they said, we trusted that it should have been he that should have redeemed Israel. And in their eyes, he'd failed. In their eyes, everything had come to nothing. Their Redeemer, their Saviour, their leader had been crucified and slain. And the Lord showed them how foolish they were, showed them in all the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, the things concerning Himself, and then He revealed Himself to them. Right the way through Scripture, we have many, many times where God's people went from great blessing to times of darkness, from an expectation of what was going to happen, those would be wonderful and instead it was trials as well. The coming back of the children of Israel from Babylon, and they had 70 years in Babylon, and then to come back to their own land, build the temple, the walls again. The Lord brought them back, but they had many adversaries, many oppositions, and it took a long while for the walls to be eventually built up again, and the temple again. And so again and again we, we are reminded of this. There will be lead-up to times of darkness, lead-up of which our expectation, we look for light and yet there was darkness, we look for blessing and there wasn't blessing, we look for joy and peace and yet there was trouble, and, and this is the lead-up that is here. And how is it with you? Maybe with you, with me. We've had those things as well. And if we're honest with ourselves, we we, we thought, well, there would be blessing. There would be help. Everything would be well. We do the Lord's will. We do his bidding. We expect the Lord will, uh, in perhaps uh, uh, in our own words, pat us on the back. Say, good servant. And make everything go for good. And yet we have trials and we have tribulation. We prove, as in the book of Job, that man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. And in the world, our Lord said, Ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In me you shall have peace. And the apostles, when they went forth, they encouraged The disciples reminded them that he must, through much tribulation or great trouble, enter the kingdom of God. Don't ever think that if we are a follower of the Lord, then that somehow gives us an insurance policy that we will not have illness, we will not have trouble, that everything will go well, that we shall not have anything go against us. The scriptures record it Very differently. And if we know our own heart, some of those things, those times of darkness and those times of trouble, is for our own chastening, the Lord's correction, the Lord's hand upon us. In this case, it was not so. There's no reason we are told at all that the Lord would bring them into a place that they were found in. So I want to look then at the second place, the experience in. Darkness. Now I want to think of it perhaps first with the idea of darkness. The scriptures tell us that the night cometh when no man can work. Now of course today we can have artificial means of light to a great extent that can allow us to, to work. But without that, without light, when it is dark, we cannot see. We cannot see our way. Uh, we can have everything around us and yet not know that that is around us at all. It can be very disorientating. Years ago, and while still I can have those nightmares at night especially of being very busy before going to bed and, and then wake up and not realise where I am. You always have to have a light on so that when I wake up in those nightmares then at least immediately I can know where I am. Years ago when I was a young man and in a choir we performed in a male voice choir Uh, late at night and then I went to bed and I thought I was standing behind this curtain, all of the audience was the other side of it, any moment the curtain would go back and I was just standing frightened to move or do anything and after a long while I realised that I was actually standing in my pyjamas in the hallway of our family home and I'd walk. And I just thought that I was still in the place where I was. And it can be very, very frightening. And with the darkness, you can't see the reality. You can't really know. As soon as someone puts on the light, you immediately know where everything is, where you are, and all of that uncertainty goes. And uh, so it is in, in many ways, in spiritual ways, in providence as well, If darkness is upon our path, if darkness is over our soul and over all that the Lord is doing, we cannot see what the Lord is doing. We cannot see what his purpose is. We cannot understand the way that we are going. And he can bring us into, as we sung, deep despair, very low in soul, very discouraged, very disheartened very troubled often things are magnified in the dark in the night season, our troubles well how was it with the disciples here the thing that we read in both Matthew and Mark was that the wind was contrary they were going in a boat and obviously what would be the best thing was the wind to be behind them but it wasn't. It was going in the opposite way. It was blowing them back the other way. It may well be that that is why they were taking to the, the oars. If you've got a sailing vessel, then the only way you can sail into the wind is by tacking, zigzagging. And you know, they may have found it much better to, to use the oars. But in a natural way, They had opposition to make their headway very, very difficult. Now we think of this in a spiritual way. Those that are seeking the Lord, those that are seeking to walk in the ways of the Lord, will find many things that come against them, that oppose them. Their own wicked heart will, our besetting sins and those things that Rise up! Will oppose us in the way that we want to go, want to seek the Lord. Then it may be that we've got family members as well, or those that are of our kindred, that will also hinder us and stop us from walking in the ways of the Lord. And the Lord spoke a lot of that—that that those that love father or mother or son or daughter more than Him was not worthy of him. And many have been, as it were, strangers in their own house, as the Lord has called one, but not others. And they have had to make a choice, as it were, whether they suffer that persecution or loneliness or trouble from those of their loved ones and follow the Lord or give up following the Lord and go back to being with those who do not want anything to do with the things of God. But it is a contrary wind, it is an opposition. Then we have Satan. Satan is an accuser of the brethren, an adversary to the people of God, and he will lay up those snares and oppositions and try to hinder their progress if he could. The world as well, all of the allurements, the snares, the men, the women of the world, our former habits and former ways, they all oppose us when we seek to want to walk in the ways of the Lord. There's many things that will take an opposite course. It won't be a smooth path. Satan, the world, our own heart and our loved ones, they won't all rejoice and say, What a wonderful thing. This, our brother, our sister, our loved one, this person is walking in the ways of the Lord. Let's help them all we can uh, and let's encourage them. Very often it is the the other way, the opposite way. Then we think of it also in ways of providence. That is when we're seeking to do things in our lives go from one place to another one house to another one job to another when we're seeking to order things in our own homes those things that we know God orders our way and we seek direction and guidance in and seek to know and do his will again there will be those things that seem to be so contrary and so opposite. Those things we might include with providence is what happened to Nehemiah and those that came back from Babylon. They had enemies, they had adversaries, they had those that made their way hard. And we can have the the same thing. It's not limited either to our being in the world, but in the Church of God. Those that oppose us, those that uh, grieve us, those that do things that are in opposition to us. And those things then, they, like this wind that was contrary, both Matthew and Mark bring about a reaction, or what resulted in that, what that resulted in. In Matthew, he notices that they were tossed with waves. The wind, it raised up the waves, and that then tossed them about. And that may well describe you or I this morning. Tossed to and fro, tossed about, up and down, first this way, then the other way. Know not which way to go, what way, what thing to thought, What thing to uh, go in or to dwell upon? Just have no stability at all. In Psalm 107, it speaks of those that do business in great waters. They go down to the depths. Their heart is melted because of trouble. They rise again into the heights, tossed to and fro. That is what Matthew noticed as a a consequence of the contrary wind. But Mark, he notices that because of this contrary wind, they were toiling in rowing. They were trying to get where they wanted to go. And it was hard work. That's what he notices interesting and it will be the case with each of us as we go through trials there's various things that we notice and that are the more prominent with Matthew the tossing up and down with Mark the effort, the toiling the trying to get on but meeting opposition all the time That's what he notices. So this is their experience. It may well be your experience and my experience as well. But then we have the matter of time. And Matthew and Mark, they notice it in watches that it comes to the fourth watch of the night, or the last watch. The Romans, they divided the night into four watches. The Jews, only three. They had a middle watch, which you can't have with four. But in the times of the Romans, the times of our Lord, they were with the four watches. So the fourth watch was 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. And so... uh, The disciples, in verse 16, we are told that even was now come. So it's just beginning to get dark. And here they had, as it were, toiled nearly all night. They'd come to the, the last watch, the last three hours. How often that is an aspect in the trials of the people of God, the time aspect. There will be a time. You can't think of a trial and it being just a few seconds or we'll make it a few minutes or a few hours. There's always in some way there'll be a time aspect to it. We know the children of Israel were 215 years in Egypt. And The latter, you might say 80 years. They were there when Moses was born, they were throwing the young man, the the, the man-children into the Nile trying to destroy them at that time. But Moses was saved, he spent 40 years in Pharaoh's household, then 40 years in the desert, and then there comes deliverance for the children of Israel in Egypt. So 80 years They'd had that toiling and labour. There is a time aspect in it. And of course, 40 is very significant for trials. So 40 years, Moses' life was divided into three lots or three watches, as it were, of 40 years. But we need to remember this. There is a set time to favour Zion. There's a time for trials. There's a time for difficulties. There's a time for this darkness. It was now dark and had been for these three watchers. All the while they were tossed, all the while they are toiling and rowing. And Matthew and Mark, they notice the time. Are you looking at that too? Thinking of how long you've been in this case. Think of the man that was 38 years at the pool of Bethesda. Long time lying, no deliverance. You think of the woman with the issue of blood. Twelve years she had that issue of blood. You think of the man that was born blind. He is of age, ask him. He must have been well nineteen twenty, something like that. And the Lord says that he was born blind for the glory of God, but had to wait many, many years before. That glory was revealed and shown. We mentioned of Elijah, three and a half years of famine. Always there is the time. Your time, says our Lord, is always ready. My time is not yet. And that applies to these times of trial and darkness. But John, he uh, he measures it in a different way. He measures it in length, how far they've gone. Verse 19, they'd rowed about 5 and 20 or 30 furlongs, three and a half miles. They've got some six and a half miles to go in the the whole journey. They're about halfway. Uh, And so he is noting the distance that they have travelled. Maybe that is how you're measuring things. Not by time, but the progress that you've made. And you think, how little progress. We're only halfway. How little we have progressed at all in our faith, in the way of holiness, in the way of grace, or in providence, in what we've been attempting to do. We're the same place now as we were a year ago or two years ago. We're no further on. We're not even uh, halfway to obtaining what we were seeking to obtain. And these are the things that aggravate this time of darkness. Darkness of mind. Darkness over us. A troubled soul. How much does that describe you, describe me? It was now dark. You might say, it is now dark. Here we read, it was now dark. And Jesus was not come to them. Really, in a way, that is what made the whole lot worse. In all of this, all the tossings, the rowing, and the time, and the distance... Jesus was not with them. He hadn't come to them. They walked through this. This is what made the darkness more than anything. They hadn't got the feeling, felt presence of the Lord and his blessing in their soul. Is that you? Is that me? In all these things that were happening, you say, if we had the blessing of the Lord, how much that would make a difference. want to look then in the third place. And the deliverance that they had is a deliverance for our encouragement as well. And the first is this, that Jesus knew where they were. He knew where they were, and he saw them. He saw them toiling in rowing. Mark is very clear in that that he he actually saw them, and he saw them toiling in rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them and may we be encouraged in now they couldn't see him but he could see them and Paul he says of heaven then shall we know even as we are known and he acknowledges this that God he can see us when we see not him and he knoweth the ways as the psalmist or no it's, it is Job that says it he knoweth the way that I take and when he hath tried me I shall come forth as gold. the psalmist, he says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him as the health of my countenance. Or Psalm 139, where the psalmist views that wherever he goes, whether it's in the depths of the sea, there's no place that he can go, the Lord does not see him and know him. And so that may be, may that be a real encouragement and help to you, to I at this time. The Lord does know, He does see us, He is mindful of us. Another time with the disciples, when the Lord was in the boat and they were like to have been uh, sunk with the waves and the Lord was asleep, they said, Carest thou not that we perish? Of course the Lord cared for them. He knew all that was happening. His divinity never slept. And so may we be encouraged in this. Jesus knows your path, my path, my darkness, your darkness. The second thing is he came to them. I don't really love this. Really, this is the whole gospel. The Lord came to them. The Lord said when he was preparing them for, when he be taken from them and crucified, I will see you again and your heart shall rejoice. Your joy no man taketh from you. On that resurrection morning and in the following 40 days, the Lord appeared again and again to his disciples, a risen Saviour, He chose the time. He chose the place. He appeared to them. They did not find him. He found them. And this is the encouragement here. And this is the whole work of the gospel. The Lord finds his sheep. He is the good shepherd. He comes to them when they're in the ditch, when they're helpless, when they're in danger. He lifts them up. He saves them. He passes by his people when they're in unregeneracy, when they're dead in sin, when they're in the darkness of sin, and he bids them live. This is the gospel. It is God is the first in salvation. He is the first in deliverance. It is the Lord that delivers his people, not them delivering themselves. It was now dark and Jesus was not come to them. But he did and he came to them. How did he come to them? He came to them in the way they could never have anticipated. They'd never seen that happen before. One walking on water... The Lord coming to them in that way. How many times do you and I think and go over all the possibilities what shall happen? How the Lord will deliver us from our darkness? How the Lord will appear in providence? How the Lord will appear in grace? And we go round and round and we exhaust all the possibilities and say it's impossible. It is impossible with man, but not with God. May always remember this, that the Lord does that which we did not look for and works in a way that man cannot devise. He did it in his great redemption upon Calvary's tree. Job, In Job he wonders how it can be that God shall bring a clean thing out of an unclean. The Old Testament saints, they knew the promises and the seed of the woman that should come and bruise the serpent's head. They didn't know how it was to be brought about. We know by the virgin birth, the overshadowing of the Holy Ghost. We know by the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ how he put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And whosoever believeth in him and trusts in his Sacrifice, and in his righteousness shall never perish, but shall have eternal life. The Lord Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by him. And it is a way, a way that the Lord has devised and the way that the Lord will work. And it stops us from putting our hand to things. And it causes us to see... This is the Lord's work and marvellous in our eyes. May that be a thought that is encouraging to you and to me. In our souls, in providence, the Lord here, he comes in a way that they look not for, comes in a miraculous way, and actually he comes to them over that tossing sea, over the waves and over the billows, Those things are not a hindrance to him. We might look upon many things and say they are all against us. Dear Jacob did just before Joseph was revealed that he was alive. All these things are against me. Remember, of course, this is the fourth hour of the night. They'd gone a long way. They'd waited a long time. But then the Lord comes in a way they had not. It's all anticipated. Now, when he does come, when he is in sight, when they first see him, is it joy? Is it gladness? No, it's fear. They were fearful at first. So, when our Lord rose from the dead and appeared to them, the doors being shut in the upper room, they were frightened. They thought then it was a spirit, they thought here it was a spirit. The Lord said to them then, A spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. And here the Lord again had a word for them. We read that they were afraid, but he saith unto them, It is I, be not afraid. Now often just before the Lord appears and blesses us, we're filled with fears and even frightened at those very things That the Lord is coming in and delivering us in. What lessons there are in this. That we even see a blessing but cannot see it as a blessing. We even see the Lord's coming but don't discern who it is and what he is doing. And yet the Lord did come. Allay their fears and what happened? Immediately that they are the land. The rest of the journey, half of the way. They quickly went over, miraculously went over. And then it was day. The Lord had come in the fourth watch. How quickly things changed. No more waves, no more billows, no more contrary, no more darkness. And the Lord was with them. So our text, and it was now dark and Jesus was not come to them, was turned about the other way, and now it was light and Jesus was come to them. Now very suddenly, what a change was wrought about when the Lord came. And so these are really encouragements to us, encouragements to persevere, to still look to the Lord, to wait his time to be encouraged in providence and in God's grace, to still trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not to our own understanding, to wait his time. These things are written for our learning, for our encouragement. These were dear disciples. Dear disciples, walk this path and the Lord show you and I that we also are his disciples following the Lord in times of darkness and the Lord turning that darkness to light times of trial and yet the Lord bringing from those trials some wonderful deliverances and that we may uh, tell and recount as three of these evangelists do to the honour and glory of God may the Lord then bless his word and encourage and help your souls and mine. Amen.